Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight I want to continue our study that we have been doing and looking at creeds and confessions that uh, tell us, you know, that, that summarize Scripture for us. And, and the, the um, subjects that I'm looking at tonight, it reminded me of when I was a kid, a long time ago. But you know, back in, back in the day, uh, when, I, when I was in school, and if I had a question about something that I, I didn't understand, there was something from school that I, I didn't understand, a word maybe I didn't understand or whatever, you know, I'd ask my parents, and, and what did my parents tell me? Probably the same thing that your parents told you if you're my age or older at least, they would say, go look it up in the dictionary or go look it up in the encyclopedia if you had a set of encyclopedias at home. Now, if the dictionaries and encyclopedias that you had at home weren't good enough, you would go to the library. And at the library, in order to find what you needed, you had to use this thing that's called a card catalog. They didn't have computers looking up stuff back then. You'd have to look in alphabetical order, find the right drawer, look at all the cards, and you know, find, find what you needed. And now, after that came out of my mouth, I feel old. But anyway, that's what I had to do when I was a kid if I didn't understand something. Now, obviously, things are a little bit different because if you want information, what do you do? Just Google it. Just, just, just Google it. So if someone asks me a question that obviously is not theology-related or Bible-related, but just, you know, how, how do you do... Well, I have to admit this. If, if Kinsey or Kyle asked me, like, help for homework, which they learned, yeah, that, that's probably useless now. But, you know, they, that, if they would ask me for help, and I remember some of these math things that they did. And I'm normally good at math, but it's been so long since I've had to deal with all these theorems and whatever. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here, so what did I do? I Googled it, because I have no idea what's going on. And if I, if I, don't, if I can't Google it, if it's something else, I YouTube it. You know, especially if like, I have to fix something on my car, or truck, or someone's car, or truck. I'm like, all right, how do you change the light bulb on the this particular vehicle and things like that. You know, you, you just look it up. Now, you do, you know, you're able to find out a whole lot of information. There's a whole lot of helpful sites out there. But there's no telling if it's true or not. I mean, I, I hate to break this news to you, but not everything that's on the Internet is true. <gasps> Shock! <laughs> but there are helpful things uh, that can be found there. So th this leads me to the, our, my question for tonight. So, okay, if you have something, you have a question about the Bible, there, there, there's something in the Bible that you do not understand, where do you go? You know, if there, you come across a passage or a verse you're not sure about, you know, how do you find understanding about it? Because there are going to be some things that are a little bit more difficult than others, um, you know, I talked last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can look, look up the videos on, on our YouTube page. <laughs> um, but 
you know, we, we, we studied and, and saw that there are things in Scripture that are hard to understand. So how do you gain the understanding of these particular parts of Scripture? And so some people might say, well, the, at least maybe the younger generations, they'll, they'll kick in and say, well, just Google it or YouTube it or whatever. The problem with that, when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to theology, is that there are a lot of cults and false teachers out there on the Internet. And, you know, you might look up an answer on the site, but, I mean, if you don't know them, how do you know what they're saying is true? I mean, you have to use a lot of discernment and do, you know, you have to research the people that you're, you're, you're doing that with. So, you, you know, there's a special dose of discernment that... Uh, but, but there's a safer way to study the passages that we might find difficult. And, um, you know, in studying the, the summaries uh, of biblical doctrines, looking at using the Baptist Confession, kind of pairing it with the Westminster Confession. But, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, important matters that, that these confessions touch upon. But we, we've been talking about Scripture itself. Bible is God's inerrant word. It's sufficient for life and faith and practice. It is the ultimate authority for everything because it is God's inspired revelation of himself. And, and, and so it reveals his character and his works. But you know what? Scripture is a big book. Well, I mean, the, all 66 books within Scripture, I mean, it, 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 it's big. It covers a lot of ground. There's some things here in Scripture that are more clear than others. Now, you know, it is very clear how to be saved. I mean, there is no question about that. I mean, you read the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. But then you know what? It's interesting, you read the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus too. It's getting things ready uh, for him and pointing uh, to him. But there are things that are not quite uh, as clear. And so the next sections in the Confession, they, they tell us where we can go and what we can do when we need help in understanding certain parts of Scripture. And so let me read uh, paragraph 9 that comes from chapter 1 of the, the Baptist Confession. And, and this is what it says. The infallible rule for interpreting Scripture is the Scripture itself. Therefore, when there is a question about the true and full meaning of any part of Scripture, and each passage only has one meaning, not many, it must be understood in light of other passages that speak more clearly. So what this paragraph is telling us is that the only way to ensure that we rightly interpret maybe some of the harder passages found in Scripture is to find further understanding from other parts of Scripture, other parts of the Bible, that will shed further light on some of these matters. The only way to ensure that we don't fall into some sort of error is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And th this doctrine is called the analogy of Scripture. The final and authoritative interpreter of Scripture is the Scripture itself. Scripture will tell you what Scripture, you know, means. You can, you can look at Scripture and find these subjects and put things together by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, oh, okay, so this is what, what, it, what it means. Um, we actually see this uh, principle at play early in the church. For example, in Acts chapter 15, you know, questions had come up about the faith and the practice of the faith, and 
questions had come up about what to do with the Gentiles, what do the Gentiles need to do or not do to be a part of the people of God now. And, and so they had Jesus' teaching, although it wasn't necessarily written down yet, they still had the teaching in, in oral form, but they also had the Old Testament. So how do we come up with these principles, what to do with these Gentiles? And, and so it, it tells us in Acts chapter 15, verses 15 uh, through 17, you know, because they let Scripture interpret Scripture. They let Jesus' teaching and the Old Testament teaching to bear upon the subject matter. And, and so it says in verses 15 through 17, the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, after this I will return, I will re rebuild the fallen tent of David, I will re rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, namely all the Gentiles I've called to be my own, says the Lord who, who makes these things. So here's the teachings uh, uh, of Jesus, and here's this issue with the Gentiles. Well, you know what? The prophets have something to say about this. The prophets bear onto what's going on in this situation. And so we can take the prophets, we can take Jesus' teachings, put them together, and, and uh, we have it. And, and so this is a call to have sound rules of hermeneutics to find and confirm proper interpretation. So there I use this big fancy term, hermeneutics. Who, who is this Herman guy and what does he have to do with interpreting scripture? Now, hermeneutics is the science of interpreting literature or pieces of literature. And for us, you know, specifically, how do you interpret the Bible? How do you interpret scripture? Um, and so the, the, the big rule is let scripture interpret scripture. That's the first and foremost uh, rule, but there's other rules that help kind of a, help us apply that rule so that we're, we're interpreting correctly. Because that's, the, that's what we're seeking, to interpret things correctly. Because, you know, I warned last week, and I warned again that, you know, there are these verses and maybe these passages that might seem a little bit obscure. And because they're a little bit obscure, these false teachers come along and they take these obscure passages and they just twist it to make it mean whatever it is they, you know, kind of already have in their head. Like, you know what, I, I, I'm going to make this scripture mean this. Yeah, but you can't put your own interpretation into this, what does it actually mean? And the, these rules of hermeneutics, they help us. What does it mean? What did God mean by this? Other, you know, instead of us saying, well, I'm going to give my own interpretation of this. Your own interpretation isn't, doesn't mean anything. And, and so, you know, uh, other things to consider when interpreting Scripture is we derive the meaning of words and phrases and sentences and paragraphs from their context. What is the context of the section? What is the context of the book? What is the context of the Testament? What is the context of the entire Bible? So you have to look at the context. Um, another rule of hermeneutics is actually found in this paragraph that I, I, I had read uh, because it stated that each passage only has one meaning. Not many. 
which what they're saying is you don't go to Scripture and try and discover some sort of truth that is hidden. I mean, yeah, okay, that passage says this, but what does it really mean? There's got to be something hidden in there. Well, no. The passage means what it means according to what God, according to its context, right? Every passage has a historical, a cultural, a literary context because God, through God's Holy Spirit, inspired these authors to write certain things to certain people at a certain time in history. And that helps us determine what it is that God said and what it meant. God inspired and intended one meaning to go through that author to the recipients. And so there's only one meaning, unless Scripture itself expands upon the meaning. It has one meaning within its context, unless Scripture itself expands upon the meaning. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes the inspired writers of the New Testament were given insight into certain Old Testament passages that, yes, they, they historically had their place, but they ultimately pointed to Christ. They, they, they had their place in Old Testament history, but they found their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. For example, in the midst of Israel's disobedience, God used a lot of prophets to talk to them. And, you know, he, he tried to remind Israel what it is that he did for them throughout their history. He wanted to remind them of his faithfulness toward them. So he says this in Hosea 11.1. 1, when Israel was a young man, I loved him like a son, and I summoned my son out of Egypt. That has its context, and it's reminding Israel of the Exodus. I loved you like a son, and I pulled you out of Egypt. You, I pulled my son out of Egypt. So in the immediate context, it's just talking about the Exodus. But now fast forward to Jesus' early days. And the family fled to, to Egypt to get away from Herod. You know, Herod was going to kill the children. And then they were told, okay, it, it, you can return to Judea. And so Matthew is telling this part of the story. And he quotes Hosea 11.1. 1. And so you find in Matthew 2.15 that he stayed there until Herod died. In this way, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet was fulfilled. I called my son out of Egypt. Now, the original context was about the nation of Israel and the Exodus. But now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew gives an expanded meaning and sees a connection with Jesus. Because ultimately, God is identifying his people and the Messiah. Or it might be better in the reverse. He was identifying the Messiah with his chosen people. And so the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to expand on the original context because of the connection of the Messiah 
with the people of God. But now just because the Holy Spirit inspired writers to do that doesn't mean that we can just go out, go and, you know, start connecting any meaning we want to any passage. People cannot just come up with some sort of personal interpretation willy-nilly without, you know, and, and unfortunately a lot of people do. They, they, they take a passage kicking and screaming out of its context. And people will say, people have said, false teachers have said, well, I have the Holy Spirit and he can give me whatever interpretation that he wants. Well, no, that's not how it works. Because you and I are not Holy Spirit-inspired writers of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the writings that he inspired. Never. And so you can't ju just do that. But Scripture bears witness that you interpret Scripture from Scripture. You interpret Scripture within its context. And this was very important to, you know, the Puritans from whom most of these confessions come. They had a lot going on in their, their day and age. They were actually fighting two battles here. The first battle that they were fighting was against the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Roman Catholic Church made the claim that the only infallible rule of interpretation is that the church has the power to tell you what the interpretation is. So meaning the Pope and then bishops and whatever, they're the only ones that can correctly interpret Scripture. And so whatever interpretation they give, that's the gospel truth. And so that's why for a long, longest time the Roman Catholic Church kept the Bible out of people's hands because, well, you know what? Well, most of the people couldn't read anyway. And even those that could, they couldn't interpret it correctly either. So they said. And so the church would say, we'll tell you what it means, we'll tell you what it says, you just do what we tell you. Now the problem with that is the Holy Spirit can enlighten Scripture for people as they read in, within its context following, you know, letting Scripture interpret Scripture and reading things in its context. So that was one issue that they were dealing with. The other issue that they were dealing with was that um, certain leaders and certain denominations would allegorize uh, Scripture. Um, what that means is they, they would take minute bits and pieces of details within a passage of Scripture and give it spiritualized meanings that God never intended to be there. They would, they would spiritualize these minor details that hold no, really no meaning at all, and therefore their inter interpretation holds no merit. Um, and this, even sound teachers fell into this. Like Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, um, and he's, he was normally pretty solid, but he, boy, he fell into some allegorizing. So he was in, doing some interpretation of Genesis. And he would say things like, okay, well, the fig leaves, you know, in Genesis 3, they, they, they stood for hypocrisy. The coat of skins that God would give them stood for morality. The four rivers that were in Eden, they stood for the four cardinal virtues. The, Noah's Ark, 
you know, it, it, it was built with gopher wood and it, it was pit, he put pitch, you know, on the inside and the outside. And, and that, that is a picture of the safety of the church from inward and outward heresies. He would give meaning to these details that was not there within its context. None of that is correct. Do you know what the fig leaf stood for? Fig leaves. Because what does it say? Adam and Eve, all of a sudden, because their eyes were supposedly open to good and evil, and they realized they were naked, and they were trying to cover themselves. That's all it means, fig leaves. The, the four rivers that, that uh, Genesis chapter 2 talks about, you know what they are? They're these four rivers that were in Eden at that time. And it gives the names of the four rivers. That's all that it stood for. There was no special meaning, but it started early within, within the church. But that, as it says here, there, there's, there's just one meaning. You don't, have, you don't go in and try and allegorize. Now, again, context, there are different types of literature. So, you know, parables generally... They are telling one, there's one teaching within a parable. And you have to be careful saying, okay, well, this detail within the parable means this and that detail. You be careful with that. But, you know, that there are some very picturesque prophecies, apocalypse, you know, apocalyptic literature and things like that. You've got to take everything within its context. But God's word says what it means and means what it says. Now, um, I think kind of, if you want to say a modern compatriot to this whole allegorizing thing, uh, is sometimes found in Bible studies where the, the leader of the Bible study will read the scripture and then ask the class, well, what does this passage mean to you? Okay, you want, you want to talk about a, a fingernail on a chalkboard moment with me? Yeah, just, just go ahead and, and say that in a Bible study. You know? I'll, I'll come and go, what does that passage mean to you? Well, it, do, it doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it, God says it means. Now, how can it be applied? Now, that's a different question. How can it be applied to you? That is the question you can ask. But the real question is, what does the passage mean? According to Scripture, within its context, Scripture interpreting Scripture. And then how do I apply that to my life? Because people would use this whole question, what does it mean to you thing, and just put any, any old whatever they wanted it to mean to fit their lifestyle. Well, because I want to live this lifestyle, I think this scripture means this. Well, it don't matter what you think it means. What does God say it means? That's the important question. So, the first step to understanding is to let scripture interpret scripture within its context. And now the next paragraph is related to that, and this will we'll handle this very short, uh, very quickly. But... Uh, paragraph 10 within the Baptist Confession says this, the supreme judge for deciding all religious controversies and for evaluating all decrees of councils 
opinions of ancient writers, human teachings, and individual interpretations, and in whose judgment we are to rest, is nothing but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit. In this Scripture, our faith finds its final word. And so, interestingly enough, what this paragraph is telling us is that confessions, like the ones we've been studying, creeds, like the ones we've been studying, councils from which many of these confessions and creeds came, none of them have the final say on how to interpret Scripture. All the millions of books and commentaries written over the years, they do not have the final say in how to interpret Scripture. Unlike what some of our charismatic brethren believe, individual interpretations and supposed words of knowledge from the Spirit do not have the final say on how to interpret Scripture. Denominations do not have the final say on how to interpret Scripture. None of these things are the final authority. What is the final authority? What does it say? Nothing but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit. In this Scripture, our faith finds its final word. Scripture says it. That's the final word. Within its context. Without pulling it out of its context. And you even see this demonstrated in Scripture itself. So, you, you're familiar probably with the, uh, with the story about how the Pharisees came to Jesus. They were trying to trick him. You know, their if, um, school of theology, denomination, group, whatever you want to call them, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. None of that. But, you know, they came up with that story about, okay, so there was this guy who married this lady. He died. Then the next brother married, you know, so on and so forth, seven of them. So what they're trying to do is trick Jesus into confirming their previously held beliefs. But how does Jesus respond? Look at, ver uh, in Matthew 22, looking at verses 29 through 33. Jesus answered them, you are deceived because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were amazed. You know, the, they, the Sadducees had their thing. They had their belief. They had their denomination. That's what interpreted things for them. And Jesus turned it around and says, look at Scripture. Scripture is the final authority on any religious controversy. Scripture is the final authority on any question of meaning and interpretation. Now, having said that, I'm not saying that commentaries and books cannot be helpful. I am not saying you should avoid everything else and only stick to, to Scripture. I mean, as long as you just remember that Scripture is the final authority. But we have to remember, whatever your favorite writer, your favorite author 
would write, whatever your favorite teacher or preacher might say, if they contradict what the whole counsel of Scripture teaches, Scripture wins. Yeah, but my favorite preacher on the radio said this. Yeah, but look at what Scripture says. And look, if I'm wrong about something, and you see something else in Scripture, Scripture wins. Not me. I mean, I pray all the time that I interpret things rightly, but Scripture has the final word. And so we want to pray that Scripture, we will allow Scripture to lead us to truth. And again, I will repeat this over and over again. We cannot be lazy in our study of Scripture. You cannot rely on your favorite teacher, preacher, author, writer, whoever. Not that they're teaching wrong, but you need to get into it for yourself. You need to feed yourself so that you know what Scripture means and you are able to apply it to your life situation. Yes, teachers and preachers can point you on the way, but you are the one that has to sit down and eat. I guess to use that analogy, you know, I, I can take the ingredients, I can mix them together, I can cook them, I can place it before you. But you're the one that's going to have to actually dive in. You're the one that's going to have to nourish, get nourished by diving in. And so we want to pray that Scripture will lead us to truth. We want to pray that we do not impose our own interpretations on Scripture. You know, we all would, there's probably things we wish that the Bible said or there's things that we wish the Bible did not say. And so we want to ignore it, we want to change it, we want to whatever. Don't. If, if, a, if there is a scripture that makes you uncomfortable, good. Let it make you uncomfortable. And I hope it makes you miserable until you align yourself with it. The preacher just said he hopes I'm miserable. No. But if your life is out of whack with Scripture, then yeah. I hope you're miserable until you're aligned. And then, then and only then will you find true joy and peace, and blessedness. So don't try and put your own thing into Scripture. Let Scripture build into you, and especially the Gospel. Let the Gospel have its way, and that's our prayer. Our prayer is the Gospel would have its way. Our prayer is that, that the whole Holy Spirit will take the Scripture, bring people to salvation, that the Holy Spirit will take the Scripture and bring people into conformity to what God has revealed. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. 
our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.